0: You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, I'm Dhamini, and you're listening to Gender Question. Here, we will look at an issue that's in the news using the lens of gender. The idea is to take a blind spot and throw some light on it. The new education policy, which came out last week has been the product of much work by the Ministry of Human Resources Development. Its aim is to create an inclusive scientific temper among students and also to reduce the emphasis on rote learning. It wishes also to revitalize the curriculum, not just for students across age groups, but also for the teachers as well. Now, this is what the policy states at one point. The school curriculum will include early on material on human values such as respect for all persons, empathy, tolerance, human rights, gender equality, non-violence, global citizenship, inclusion and equity. It would also include more detailed knowledge of various cultures, religions, languages, gender identities, etc. to sensitize and develop respect for diversity. Any biases and stereotypes in school curriculum will be removed and more material will be included that is relevant and relatable to all communities. Elsewhere, the new policy also talks about a gender inclusion fund that is to be constituted by the centre. The purpose, uh, the policy states, is to build the nation's capacity to provide equitable, quality education for all girls as well as transgender students. The fund will be available to states to implement priorities that are critical to assist female and transgender children in gaining access to education, such as the provisions of sanitation and toilets, bicycles, conditional cash transfers, among other things. The fund will also be available to help states support and scale up effective community-based interventions that address context-specific barriers to female and transgender children's access to education. Now that's a great directive for a policy to provide, because we are all aware of the immense inequalities that exist in our education system, but interestingly, the policy does not say anything about teaching children about sexuality at all. The reason why both gender and sexuality need to be seen in tandem And cannot be separated is because both are issues of identity that arise in childhood and adolescence. And unless there are healthy and non-judgmental conversations about both, there is no way in which bullying or discrimination can really be tackled and addressed. But gender and sexuality education has had a checkered past. In a two-part episode, I'll be talking about this history and I'll also put it into context by speaking to two experts and trainers. In today's episode, I speak to Rituparna Bora, a co-founder of Nazaria, which is a queer feminist resource group that works on issues of gender and sexuality with people across age groups. Nazaria, which is Delhi-based, also runs a helpline for trans persons and queer women. I also speak to Manak Matiani, who has been a guest on this podcast before. Manak is the executive director of YP Foundation, an organisation that develops adolescent and young adult leadership on issues of gender-based violence and sexual and reproductive health and rights. Listening to excerpts of our conversation. Could you please tell us a little bit about the kind of youth that you work with, and
2: also what is the kind of work that you do with them? Okay, so Nazaria, as you know, is a queer feminist resource group, and our our uh, aim is to uh, talk about uh, gender sexuality from a, from a queer perspective mm. and we conduct uh, gender sexuality sensitization workshops across schools colleges and universities yeah. uh, so yeah. in terms of the workshops um, so in schools we go to schools only when we are requested to and in colleges we organize uh, institutional courses and mm. we ask uh, students above 18 years of age to come and attend these workshops Mm. And uh, so uh, the kind of work that we do are mostly with uh, all kind of young people and youth Mm. uh, because of the fact that um, uh, it is not so easy to come out as queer or trans. Mm. And uh, we know that queer and trans persons face a lot of harassment and bullying in schools and colleges Mm. and thereby they drop out of schools and colleges and, and the mental health of, of those people also suffer. So right. we thought that it is important that we talk about an inclusive, comprehensive gender sexuality uh, workshop where we talk about different bodies, different desires, different, uh, you know, like right to eat, right to uh, uh, wear clothes of your choice and all in the human rights uh, kind of faith, uh, framework. Okay. And, this, and uh, therefore, we don't just aim LGBTIQ youth, we aim all kinds of young people who come to us. When we introduce the concept of gender and sexuality,
0: and at least for a lay person, there seems to be a misconception that really this is about teaching people about how to have sex, teaching young mm-hmm. adults or teaching youngsters about sex.
1: At the YP Foundation, we have been running comprehensive sexuality education programs for a large number of years now, both in and out of school. And one of the first things to realize about comprehensive sexuality education is that it's not just about sex. It is about giving young people affirmative, uh, technically correct, non-judgmental, stigma-free, age-appropriate information that helps them understand their own body. It helps their mental and physical well-being, and it also helps them understand about their own rights, about gender, uh, sexuality, patriarchy, power, about how to prevent violence, how to recognize violence that might happen to them and how to sort of lead thought-out, correct decision-making, responsible decision-making for themselves uh, as well as for others. And comprehensive sexuality education actually does the opposite of what it is accused of doing in many cases. It doesn't promote uh, unthinking sexual activity. It actually uh, has globally been proven through various studies that when young people get proper technical information about sexuality, about sex, about safety, that they take much more reflected uh, and reflective, much more thought out, much more responsible decisions around when... Uh, whether or not and with whom they want to be sexually active and young people who receive this information are much more inclined to actually uh, you know taking safety precautions and to be able to take and are equipped to take decisions around whether they are mentally and physically ready to be sexually active they are also able to resist the pressure to get into sexual relationships if they don't really want to get into such kinds of relationships uh, and I think that's the most important thing about actually giving proper, correct, uh, information to young people instead of letting them get this information from the media or from the internet or from pornography or whatever other place, uh, with which, uh, you know, which bombards them with sexual content and which we can't really keep young people from in this day and age.
0: So, Ritu, can you, can you tell me a little bit about the, the kind of, you know, discomforts because you said that you are only invited to do these uh, sessions by schools. Um, clearly that indicates that, uh, uh, you know, that this is not something that is a compulsory uh, workshop, right? Mm-hmm. And that this really depends upon the discretion of the schools uh, or colleges who are inviting you. So what is the kind of discomfort that uh, you know, exists when it comes to, you know, getting this kind of an education, providing this kind of education to students. When we
2: go to schools and talk to young people, they are very keen to learn about gender sexuality. And actually they are not a blank slate. They know things. Mm. It is the age of internet. So for instance, when we conducted workshops on, on gender issues, with, with, with young kids, one, one of the young kids basically asked, okay, then which bathroom will transgender people use? Mm. And this is the, this is coming from a kid. Mm-hmm. And we didn't we didn't bring out the issue. They they actually know about these issues. Mm-hmm. In one of the other workshops, uh, they they said uh, one of the young girls said that, you know, uh at the time 377 was not decriminalized. Mm-hmm. And they said even if 377 gets decriminalized, that's from her point of view. Uh, what how how will it help uh, queer queer people? Because queer people will not be able to get married. So mm. so the, so the un, understanding is there, and it is us, the adults, the teachers or maybe the, the society at large who thinks that young people are not, uh, do not have agency, Young people should not have agency. Mm. And, and young people cannot understand these things. But Dami, in this age of internet, where if everything is online, you have smartphones, mm. young people are very woke and they understand concepts of gender, patriarchy. And, and like, a, like a class fifth student says that the gender is a social construct. This is amazing. And, and we as adults, we think that young people do not understand these things. Actually, they do there is a sort of great moral uh, opprobrium, a kind of a moral
0: censure that lies at the heart of this discomfort. Um, and uh, and as you very correctly put it, I think it takes, it takes years for that kind of moral censure to get built. Because what is happening is that, you know, whether we are teaching children about gender and sexuality through your workshop or, and Manak's, you know, the kind of workshops that you and Manak do, or we do not teach them about gender and sexuality through those workshops, they're still learning about gender and sexuality because our world is saturated with, you know, uh, references. It is saturated, saturated with, and, and, and information is available at fingertips. Right. And more importantly, we are learning about gender all the time, you know, in the roles that we see our parents play out, you know, our family members, birth family members play out, uh, in the roles that we see in our schools, you know, so uh, or in movies or in books or whatever. So the point is that mm-hmm. really, uh, I mean, the whole world in in that sense that the world that we live in is a, <laughs> a workshop on gender and sexuality mm-hmm. education. And I mm-hmm. think that what's what you're talking about is really about providing an education that's within a rights framework, That's with, that's about respect, that's about consent. That's about equitability, right? And equality. I think I'm trying to understand also why the work that you do is so important. What Could you tell me a little bit about that?
1: So all in all, uh, what I'm saying is that, uh, you know, we continuously as a society, as a culture are telling young people that sex or anything, not even just sex, anything around your own gender around uh, you know very normal, healthy parts of growing up and figuring out your own body, your identity, what you feel, who you are, are very, very taboo and you cannot discuss this with anybody else. With a program like this, that creates a non-judgmental space to have these discussions, The program is not about giving young people all the information that they are supposed to then remember, like a, you know, regular exam. It is about telling young people that there are many parts of your life that you will not have all the information for. And that it is okay to ask for information. And here are the two, three people who are the reliable, uh, you know, equipped, skilled people in your life who will be able to give you this correct information. And what stays with young people the most uh, is That, you know, when I have a confusion, it is okay for me to ask a question about it. That it is not wrong for me to ask for medical help, uh, to be able to, uh, you know, actually seek support when I require. And that they continue to be able to do that. That is the big change that happens in lives of young people with programs like this. And we have seen, uh, particularly in the case of, you know, boys that the ability to understand, uh, you know, what causes violence, the ability to understand their own privilege, the ability to, uh, you know, reflect on the fact that society is telling them to be violent increases when they have access to this kind of thoughtful and thought-provoking space. And they are able to really consider uh, other people's as well as their own uh, you know, mental and physical well-being, that they are able to consider other people and their own boundaries as much more important and with much more uh, you know, calmness uh, and preparedness than they would if they did not have access to such kinds of programs.
0: So sexuality education is not really about knowing everything about sex, as Ritu and Malak point out. It's about building emotional resilience and learning that it is okay to seek information. It is okay to ask questions. Questions don't hurt sentiments. At any rate, questions that particularly pertain to gender and sexuality are too important to let hurt sentiments get in the way. Unless adolescents and young adults understand essential concepts about their bodies, identities and desires, about gender or sexual orientation and other kind of related aspects, in an age-appropriate manner, the violence of both words and deeds can never be addressed. Remember boys' Locker Room? In our next episode, we'll talk a little bit about the history of gender and sexuality education in India. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, do reach out to me at the Dhamini on Twitter. You can also leave your feedback at HTSmartCast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Bye.